Thank you, ladies, for that wonderful reminder of who God is, His power, and His majesty. We're going to be looking at His power and His majesty even today in Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, verse 18, as we continue through this series. We're going to see not only God's power and Scripture's authority, but those two things questioned, those two things critiqued. I want to open with the question, how do you respond when your faith is brought into question? Uh, When your belief in the supernatural is scorned and mocked? Yet, let's be honest for a a, a minute. As as Christians, we believe some, some pretty crazy things, for lack of a better word. One of which, we believe that there will come a day in the future when all humanity will be resurrected. Humans that have been dead for hundreds of years will be brought back to life. Now, from a naturalistic perspective, that's crazy. That's crazy. Have you ever seen someone resurrect from the dead? I would hope not. (laughs) But yet, we stake all of our faith, everything, on the truth of the resurrection. It's everything to us, yet we've never seen it with our own eyes. It's scientifically impossible. And, and an unbeliever might look at you, see your belief in the resurrection, and conclude, you're crazy. And yet, if the resurrection is not true, then our faith is futile. Why are we here? There's no reason for us to be here. Do you have a sense of shame or embarrassment when your crazy beliefs are questioned? When people look at you and say, resurrection? Really? You honestly believe that? Or is it just because you've always been taught that? See, your your confidence can only be as strong as the foundation on which your belief is built. Weak foundation, shaky confidence. Strong foundation, solid confidence. As we continue to see Jesus versus the religious leaders, today we're going to see a battle of worldviews. Those who deny scripture and the supernatural versus Jesus, who is the very foundation of both. We see this conflict between Jesus and a group called the Sadducees. The Sadducees conveyed confidence. They were authorities. They were political leaders in the day. We see Jesus exposing the weakness of their foundation. And the issue in question in our passage today is the resurrection of the dead. A seemingly unbelievable doctrine, but one that is at the very core of what we believe. And as we see Jesus pitting his authority against the authority of the religious leaders of the day, I hope that we are able to have a renewed sense of confidence in what we claim to be true. So let's read our passage, Mark chapter 12. We'll start in verse 18, and then we'll read through verse 27. Then come unto him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection. And they asked him, saying, Master, Moses wrote unto us, If a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind him and leave no children, that his brother should take his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were seven brethren, and the first took a wife, and dying left no seed, and the second took her, 
and died. Neither left he any seed. And the third, likewise. And the seven had her and left no seed. Last of all, the woman died also. In the resurrection, therefore, when they rise, remember, they don't even believe in the resurrection. When they rise, whose wife shall she be of them? For the seven had her to wife. Jesus answering said unto them, Do ye not therefore err? Because you know not the scriptures, neither the power of God. For when they shall rise from the dead, they shall neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven. And as touching the resurrection of the dead, they that, they, they that rise, have ye not read in the book of Moses, how in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You therefore do greatly err. Let's pray and ask God to guide us through his word. We thank you, Lord, for the resurrection. We thank you for the truth upon which we stand. Lord, we admit there's many things that we claim to believe that we hold dear to our hearts in which we place our hope that to the world around us is unbelievable. Give us the confidence that we see even conveyed by Christ, knowing that your word and your power is the source of our authority. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Jesus versus the Sadducees. Again, this whole passage, John, or Mark chapter 12, is, is him facing off against a bunch of different people. We saw him against the Sanhedrin at the end of chapter 11 and leading into chapter 12. We saw him talking with the Pharisees and the Herodians when they asked him the question about taxes. And then coming to him, the Sadducees. Now again, who are the Sadducees? Now you all know the joke about the Sadducees, right? Yes, they didn't believe in the resurrection, and that's why they were so sad, you see. All right, I had to get that out of the way uh, before someone gets mad at me for not including it. The Sadducees. Who were these? Well, we actually know very little about them. Their, their writings did not, did not endure to the present day. We depend actually primarily on the gospel accounts of the Sadducees. Uh, early historical writings like that of Josephus, who we met last week in our sermon, and then, and then other early rabbinical writings. But this is what we do know about the Sadducees. What do they believe? We learn in our passage today they denied the resurrection. The early historian Josephus says this also. He says, but the doctrine of the Sadducees is this, that souls die with the bodies. So the Sadducees had a, you could say, a naturalistic worldview. There is no life after death. There is no resurrection. When you die, you die. But they denied other things as well. They actually denied God's sovereignty. The historian Josephus says this as well about the Sadducees. The Sadducees, he says, take away fate entirely and suppose that God is not concerned in our doing or not doing what is evil. And they say that to axe what is good or what is evil is at men's own choice, and that the one or the other belongs to everyone, that they may act as they please. They also take away the belief of the immortal duration of the soul and the punishment and rewards in Hades. So they had a naturalistic worldview. They had a humanistic worldview, we can say. 
And then also, one other thing we learn about the Sadducees is that they had a limited belief in the authority of Scripture. The Sadducees only believed in the authority of the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. Everything else they did not consider to be authoritative. So this is the Sadducees. These are the, this is the group that is coming to Jesus with a question. Let's consider the question. The Sadducees approach him and say, in reference, something called the law of leveret marriage. Perhaps as we were reading our passage today, you thought, what in the world is going on with this wife being married to all these brothers? And, and, and what's the basis for this? Why does he bring up this situation? Well, this is a law, as I mentioned, called leveret marriage. We find it in Deuteronomy 25, verse 5, where it says this, If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duties of a husband's brother to her. So this was a law in the Old Testament that if, if, if your brother was married, they didn't have any kids, and then the brother dies, then you as the brother, your duty was to marry your brother's widow to continue their lineage. And so he brings, the Sadducees bring up this law to Jesus. They quote to Jesus the law. And then they present this really realistic scenario that I'm sure happens all the time. There's seven brothers. The first takes a wife and then dies, and the next brother obeys the laws of lover at marriage and marries the brother's widow, and then that same thing happens again and again until all seven brothers marry the same wife, and then the wife dies. Sometimes you can tell when a, law, a question is not coming from a genuine place <laughs> by just the outlandish hypothetical scenario that is presented. Why do they ask this question? The question, again, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be? Will each brother claim her as his wife? They all had her as a wife. Is there going to be a big fight among the seven brothers, right? I had her originally, yeah, but you died, you know, dibs, right? Is this going to be this big debate, or is it going to be polygamy? Is, it going to, is there going to be polygamy in heaven where they're all married to her? Why are they asking this question? I think what they're trying to get at is saying, telling Jesus, you know what? The law contradicts the resurrection. They only hold to the first five books of the Bible. And they say, Jesus, this whole thing about the resurrection, it actually presents some problems, and actually, the law itself might actually refute such a doctrine. In other words, they were not actually seeking an answer to their question. They did not actually want to know whose wife will she be. They were trying to show Jesus, they were trying to discredit Jesus about his belief, showing him the folly of such a claim. And so we see the question, why? Why are they asking this? We see that the Pharisees and the Herodians were trying, to, were trying to trap Jesus in his words and their question. This isn't what the Sadducees are trying to do here. They're trying to discredit the authority of Jesus. Well, let's consider the answer. I love how Jesus calls them out. He does not say, hmm, you know, that's a really great point. I haven't thought about that. I really appreciate the question. No, what does he say? He says, you're wrong. Which is funny because they're the one asking the question. They're not the one answering. So why does he say they're wrong? You do greatly err 
He says, is this not the reason you are wrong? Later on in verse 27, you are quite wrong. Jesus is saying that they're wrong in the very premise of the question. That their question itself reveals an ignorance. And Jesus is about to call them out on that. How you frame the question, Sadducees, reveals a lack of knowledge. Your question is wrong. You see, the Sadducees held up their own authority. They were self-sufficient. They held their destiny in their own hands. God was out there, but he wasn't sovereign over us. He was removed from good and evil. They believe this world is all there is. When you die, you're gone. That's it. There's nothing after that. So, so make the most out of this life. That sounds really familiar, doesn't it? Doesn't it? People haven't changed, really. The worldviews, the way of thinking, hasn't really changed much over the centuries. Materialism and humanism rule the day. And this world looks at a doctrine like the resurrection from the dead and sees it as foolishness. And why is it foolishness? Well, when you deny the supernatural power of God and ignore the truth of scriptures, then the resurrection is impossible. Yet when you acknowledge the power of God and the authority of scriptures, then you know that God is capable of it and the scriptures proclaim the truth of it. But if you deny both of those, it's nothing but folly. As we consider the broader context of this passage, this is a battle of authority. What authority do we see competing with Jesus in our passage today? We see one that depends on human reason and wisdom rather than the power of God and the authority of scriptures. And so as we look through this passage today, we have to ask ourselves the question, what is your source of authority? We must all choose a side. Is the source of our authority going to be the wisdom of man or the power of God and the authority of scriptures? The Apostle Paul answered it this way in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 2 through 5, where he says, I have decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The side you choose will impact how you view one of, if not the most important doctrine of Christianity, the resurrection of the dead. What is your source of authority? The Sadducees had their source of authority, their own human wisdom, their own rationality. Jesus was his own authority. Which side will you choose? Two simple points today. First of all, place your hope in the power of God. Look back in our passage, Mark chapter 12. Verse 24 is where Jesus answers them. He says, Do you not therefore err? Because why? They, do, they are ignorant. They don't know two things. What are they? You don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. And then he proceeds to answer both of these in reverse order. In verse 25, he reveals their ignorance about the power of God. And then verses 26 and 27, he reveals their ignorance about the scriptures. So he begins with their ignorance about the power of God. They're critiquing a doctrine without even understanding the doctrine itself. This is a side note, as you face those in this world who critique Christianity, a lot of times you'll find that those critiques themselves 
come from a place of not even understanding the things in which they are critiquing. Even from supposed contradictions in Scripture. Right? This some, they'll, they'll point to a list of contradictions that they might find and say, this passage contradicts this passage, but when you just look at it and you understand the context of Scripture and, and, and in each situation, you realize they, they're actually just asking this question from a place of ignorance about the thing, very thing they're asking. So how are they wrong about the question of the resurrection? Well, here's where they're wrong. They assume that it was a simple continuance of natural, mortal life, that relationships remain the same. Everything remains the same. It's just kind of a restart. They were ignoring one important factor in their understanding of the doctrine of the resurrection. They were missing the whole power of God thing, which if you don't have the power of God, resurrection is kind of impossible. They were viewing it naturalistically. And you cannot make sense of this world, let alone Jesus Christ, if you view it through a naturalistic lens, not taking into account the power of God, the reality of the supernatural. And Jesus says, you are greatly mistaken. You are very wrong because you don't understand how powerful God is. You don't understand the nature of the resurrection because you don't understand God. And in the following verses, he explains how they're missing the power of God and as it pertains to the res- resurrection. He says, first of all, that in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. Now, this doesn't deny the reality of relationships in the resurrection, but the very nature of relationships changes. In eternity, there's no longer any need to marry or be given in marriage. There's no longer any need for procreation. It's eternity. Nothing is the same as this earthly life. He says, everything you know in this world, it's completely different. It's not the same. It's not a simple continuation. You're missing the power of God. He says, but those in the resurrection are like the angels in heaven. Now, this explanation, I think, has, has suffered in our modern context, our modern era, where the world concludes that in the resurrection, what are we? We are just a bunch of angels with wings sitting on clouds and strumming harps. And that just does not sound very fun. Is this, is, is this what Jesus is saying? You're just a bunch of angels just flying around, singing and playing harps. No, this isn't what he's saying. What does he say? He says, you are like angels in heaven. You don't become angels in heaven. His point, we have eternal glorified bodies. It will not be a continuation of this mortal body, but this mortal body will be swallowed up in immortality. The Apostle Paul explains it in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 42 through 44, this way. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. He says nothing is the same. You're missing the power of God. You know, this can be troubling to some Christians. That you don't marry or given in marriage. What's, what's the troubling thought? Does this mean I won't recognize my spouse when I get to heaven? I don't think there's anything to worry about. While Jesus said that the resurrection life is completely different from this mortal life, I think it's safe to say that everything we experience in our resurrected bodies will be much deeper and more joyous than anything we experience in these mortal bodies. And I think this includes even our relationships with fellow saints with whom we lived um, alongside of in this mortal life. 
One theologian says it this way, present earthly experience is entirely insufficient to forecast divine heavenly realities. We can no more imagine heavenly existence than an infant in utero can imagine Beethoven, a Beethoven piano concerto or the Grand Canyon at sunset. It's real, it's in your future, but our mortal existence has no frame of reference to understand just how glorious, just how wonderful the resurrection will be. And here the Sadducees are trying to nitpick and figure out how is this all going to work out? This doesn't make sense with this earthly life. And he's saying it's completely different than this earthly life. And while he refutes their misunderstanding of the resurrection, I believe Jesus' main purpose is to expose their unbelief in their weak source of authority. They did not account for the supernatural power of God. The Sadducees had been witnessing the power of God daily through the miracles of Jesus Christ, and yet they didn't even recognize it. They did not know the power of God. And a naturalistic approach to Scripture will result in ignorant questions. And so Jesus tells them plainly, you are quite wrong. The wisdom of man leads to foolishness. Are you placing your hope in the power of God? You know, if you try to make sense of this world without the supernatural, without the power of God, there are a lot of things that won't make sense to you. Not only will the resurrection not make sense to you, but the gospel itself will not make sense to you. 1 Corinthians 1, 18-19 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, what is it? It is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. He says later on in verses 22 through 25, For the Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And these Sadducees are approaching Jesus, challenging the power of God with their naturalistic human wisdom, trying to break down the doctrine with their faulty authority. Do you place your hope in the power of God? To the naturalistic eye, the power of God looks like foolishness. And to so many, the idea of the resurrection is completely ridiculous. But to those who believe, what is ridiculous to others is the very power of God to us. And we are not to be ashamed of it. Not only is the resurrection key to our hope, but the very gospel depends on the power of God. Don't be fearful of the critiques unbelievers bring against your faith. Don't be afraid of their questions. And do not expect those who deny the power of God to understand a supernatural reality, let alone embrace that reality. Think for a moment, what happens when you deny the reality of the supernatural, of the power of God? It's really not just the resurrection that doesn't make sense anymore. But even the very order of creation doesn't make sense. How can there be such design and order in our universe without a supernatural, powerful creator? Morality doesn't make sense anymore. How can there be a universal objective right and wrong without the existence of a supernatural lawgiver? 
Even human purpose and value does not make sense apart from the power of God. How can there be such a thing as inherent human dignity and purpose if there is not a supernatural God who made us in his image and gave us a purpose? If you deny the power of God, it's not just there is a resurrection that doesn't make sense. It's all of life that doesn't make sense. And obviously, without the power of God, the resurrection makes no sense. But what do we read in 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19? Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? Supposedly, the problem of the Sadducees had continued even on into the early church, doubting the reality of the resurrection. And Paul says this, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God when he ra- that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. The Sadducees chose naturalism over supernaturalism, and as a result, they forfeited the greatest hope that comes from a firm belief in the resurrection. And aren't you so glad that Jesus was able to look straight at at them straight in the eye and say, you are very, very wrong. It is not the naturalistic mind that is correct. They are very wrong. Place your hope in the power of God. And secondly, Place your confidence in the Word of God. We see now the second area in which the Sadducees were mistaken. They were mistaken concerning the power of God, and they were mistaken concerning the Scriptures. And so Jesus confronts now their ignorance of the Scriptures. He knew that they disbelieved the resurrection. When they weren't even asking about the reality of the resurrection. They were giving a scenario assuming the reality of the resurrection. And Jesus moves right past that and says, let me refute your disbelief in the resurrection itself. Verses 26 to 27. As for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him? He sounds like me when I'm trying to remember a passage of Scripture. The passage about the bush. I can't remember the reference. There wasn't any references. There was no chapter and verses back then, but uh, that's often how I describe the verses I'm trying to memorize. In the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. Remember, the Sadducees only accepted the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. If they had believed in all of Scripture, in all the Old Testament, they could have gone to passages like Daniel 12, verse 2, which clearly teaches about the resurrection. It says this, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. But Jesus knows that all of Scripture points to divine truth, and so he pulls a proof text of the resurrection out of the Pentateuch so that the Sadducees could not escape it. He asks them in verse 26, Have you not read in the book of Moses, one of the books that you do claim to be authoritative? He quotes Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. This is the story of Moses talking to God, who's in the burning bush, when God is sending him to deliver the children of Israel from Egypt. And God tells Moses, am I, the God, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, 
the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, perhaps you're wondering, how in the world does this point to the resurrection? Well, Jesus actually gives his explanation of how it points to the resurrection in Mark chapter 12, verse 27. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Now, perhaps you've heard that Jesus is basing his argument on the tense of a verb. In other words, I am the God of Abraham, not I was the God of Abraham. But that's actually not entirely true. Because there's no verb in the Greek quotation. There's no verb in the Hebrew of Exodus chapter 3. The verb is supplied. Literally, it says, I, the God of Abraham. The proof of the resurrection is in not in the tense of a verb, but in the nature of the covenant. God entered into eternal covenants with these men. And God's covenants with his people extend beyond this mortal life. It is a continuing relationship. When God enters a promise, enters a covenant with a human being, it is eternal. Death is not strong enough to sever God's covenant with his people. He is the God, not of the dead, but of the living. And he remains the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob long after their physical death. To enter a covenant with God is to enter a relationship with God. And when you enter a relationship with God, it is an eternal relationship. By pointing to the authority of Scripture, Jesus is pointing to the promises of God. To deny the resurrection is to claim that God's promises are defeated by death, that the covenants with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob ended when their physical life ended. But from the very opening pages of Scripture, we discover that it is quite the opposite, that death is defeated by the promises of God. And this reality of the resurrection is attested to in in the inspired word of God. Jesus himself was about to prove this in his own life. As we read in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with, with the scriptures. And so Jesus directly discredits the Sadducees for their ignorance of scripture. He says, you are quite wrong. You're so off base. You're as wrong as you can get. You don't have a clue. What little of scripture you acknowledge as authoritative, you don't even adequately understand. You know, I think sometimes we may feel embarrassed or ashamed for holding such supernatural truths believing in an inerrant, authoritative book, believing that the dead will rise again. May we have the boldness of Jesus toward the Sadducees who stood toe-to-toe with them, upheld the power of God and the authority of the Word of God, and stated, you are quite wrong. In this battle of worldviews, it is you who are standing on solid ground. It is you who have the firm foundation of authority. You're not standing in man's wisdom or man's opinion. You're standing on the very power of God. Do not be ashamed of it. Don't be embarrassed by it. As it says in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And we look at those who mock the resurrection and we say, You are quite wrong. You are the one who is misled and on shaky ground. And I'm so thankful that we read in 1 Corinthians 15, 19 through 20, 
If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, what are the next two words? In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. And when someone doubts such a supernatural reality, trying to define it in naturalistic terms, and asks, well, how are the dead raised? What kind of body, in what kind of body do they come? How does Paul respond in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 36, when that question is raised, well, what kind of body is it? It doesn't make sense. He tells them, you foolish person. You foolish person. Do not waver in your hope of the power of God. Do not apologize for your confidence in Scripture. May we stand in our firm belief in God's power and the authority of the Word. It can be difficult when you're faced with critique, when you're faced with doubt, when you're faced with those crazy hypothetical questions meant to dismantle and discredit what you believe, and sometimes it may even cause you to step back and think, oh man, that is kind of That is kind of crazy. The resurrection? Do I really believe that? God in flesh coming and entering this world? Do I really believe that? Is it it something that I can really stake my life on? Is this something that, that I really want to base all my reputation on? And Jesus says, it is them who are who are wrong. They are the ones who err. Will you stand in your firm belief in Scripture? and in the power of God. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 15, as I've been quoting and looking at it multiple times throughout the sermon, but I want to read this passage as we near the close of our sermon. Because I want us to see the confidence, the hope, that comes from being convinced in the power of God, in the power and authority of the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15. Look down in verse 54. Verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the next word is, therefore. Therefore, because of the reality of the resurrection, the truth of it, how does this cause us to respond? Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You are not on shaky ground, believing in the future of the resurrection. You are steadfast. You are immovable. The Sadducees came to Jesus planning to discredit him. But who were the ones who walked away discredited from this conversation? You know, no writing of the Sadducees has survived to present day. We have to rely on secondary sources to figure out who they were and what they believed. They, they're gone. But the message of Jesus Christ and his resurrection 
have endured through the ages. And to place your hope and faith in him is to place your feet on solid ground. Those who deny his power and the authority of Scripture are the ones who are on shaky ground. They are the ones who err. They are the ones who are quite wrong. And so what are we called to do as Christians who have this hope, who have this steadfast belief in the reality of of the resurrection and the power of God? We're called to proclaim that, to proclaim Jesus Christ, the hope of eternity. To those who are on shaky ground that are viewing their life through this naturalistic and humanistic worldview, trying to make sense of everything apart from the power of God, we have a gospel. We have the answer. We have hope. We have the message that they need. Will you go to them? Will you share the hope of the resurrection that Christ may open their eyes and place their feet on solid ground? Perhaps you're even facing the shaky ground of this mortal life. Do you find hope? Do you find confidence in the reality of the resurrection? That death will be swallowed up in victory? That death will lose its sting? Be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. So we see Jesus versus the Sadducees in this passage. I think it's clear to see who the winner was. It was Jesus Christ. Side with him. Side with his authority. Side with his power. And experience the hope and the confidence that comes from him. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that we don't need to depend on our own faculties, on our own rationalistic and naturalistic thinking that we can depend on your power and on your word. Lord, we thank you that the authority for what we believe lies outside of ourselves, not within our own mind. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the confidence and the hope that comes from knowing that you promise a resurrection. And we look back and we see the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we're even going to look into as we finish up the the book of Mark the one who is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. We place our confidence on the reality of Christ's resurrection. We know that our faith is not futile. We know that we are, no, we are not dead in our sins, but we have new life, new hope, because of what you have done for us. Give us the confidence that embraces that reality so that we can abound in the work of the Lord. That we would not be paralyzed by the critiques and the questions of those who doubt and disbelief, but that we would stand with confidence upon your word, knowing that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father except through you.